Good morning, one and all. My name's Adrian, if you don't know me. Uh, massive welcome uh, to you. Uh, we are going to continue this series, Encounters with Jesus. I don't know if you find there's those moments on there when you encounter someone for the first time uh, and you suddenly think, well, how are things going to go? There are some moments in my life where I encounter people and they think that I'm someone I'm not. And there's generally two people people think uh, that I am. One of them, I kind of think, wow, that's pretty good. Uh, and the other one is an amazing guy. It's just there's some differences between the two of us in terms of age, so it's not as good. The first guy is a guy called Jonathan Edwards, who's um, an Olympian, uh, a commentator, and occasionally people go, are you Jonathan Edwards? The grey hair, uh, physique. Uh, and I think, well, I thought, that's pretty good. This is, I'm being likened to an Olympian. The other person I tend to get likened to, and this has happened at a number of pubs I've been to, where the guy be, or girl behind the bar go, no way, it's you! Uh, or, uh, even I was in London, I was in, staying at a flat in Belgra Belgravia, kind of left, just thought I'd name drop that area. Uh, wouldn't otherwise be able to stay there, it's just I knew someone had a flat there. Was there walking down the street, someone screeches the hole and says, no way, it's you! Paul O'Grady! <laughs> The guy's got 15 at least years on me. <laughs> it's what I usually say in response to that. No, I'm not Paul O'Grady. And that seems to make it seem like I am more like him. Um, so in case you're wondering, no, I'm not Paul O'Grady. No, I'm not Jonathan Edwards. I am Adrian Hurst. Um, that doesn't deserve any applause. Sorry. <laughs> I'm able to identify myself. That's what I've shown so far. Um, today, we're going to encounter one, as we have been throughout the weeks, have we have been through our worship, who is amazing, who is one to applaud, who is Jesus. And I think sometimes when we approach these moments of a preach, a talk, a sermon, whatever name you want to give it, is that sense of, okay, what's going to happen here? Are you going to entertain me? Are you going to, am I going to leave kind of knowing something more? To be honest on that front, I, I'm not that concerned. What I more want to invite us to, to do today is to encounter Jesus afresh. Maybe you've come this morning and you would say, I'm, I'm, I don't know quite who he is, but everything I've kind of seen so far, just helps me get drawn more and more to him. But for many of us in this room, we say, no, we know who he is, but the invitation is that we get to encounter him afresh to today, for today. Not that we'd think about what did it look like yesterday. Brother, in this moment now, Jesus, who is king of kings, who is the king of the night, as well as the king of the day. Jesus, who is the one who affords us this amazing relationship with the Father, longs to meet with you and longs to meet with me. And how I want us to encounter him is through a phenomenal story we're going to look at, which happens on a boat. And today we're going to encounter this amazing Jesus on a boat. And as we encounter him, what I'm hoping is going to happen and what I believe will happen is that we're going to discover this Jesus who we encounter is one who always wants to change our lives so they're never the same. And that today I believe that Jesus wants to change our lives in order they'd never be the same in respect to fear. Because we're living in a moment, in a day and age, where actually you just have to look at the news feed every morning and you think, man, if I wasn't afraid, there's enough to concern me today. 
And you look at it, and then you kind of double that out and think, well, there's then the things that are just going on in my life. And it isn't that Jesus in his offer of this amazing new life through his resurrection is blind to the stuff that comes around us and the effect that it can have on us but rather is one who wants to invite us to rather than living lives that can be engulfed by fear, actually become lives that are liberated to live in faith and trust in him. Now, for some of us at this point, we're already thinking, but Adrian, you don't know how much this already rules in my life. And for you, I, I just want you to hang in there. I say it is one who's part of my story. I'm not going to tell lots of my stories today, but part of my story is one where I would say I lived characterized by fear for numbers of years and yet have become one who knows what it is to live a life that can live free from it. But rather than me tell my story, I want to tell his, Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, if you want to turn to uh, Mark chapter 4, and we're going to be reading a story from there. I'll read from the screen as well, just because it's helpful. We'll then read the same thing. Mark recounts this story like this. Verse 35. That day when evening came, he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, that's a storm, and the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What we find here is this phenomenal story of Jesus and his friends setting out on a journey that Jesus has said, we're going to get to the other side. And within that journey, suddenly on this lake that is renowned for these sort of moments where suddenly out of nowhere a storm happens. A storm that happened with such ferocity and ferociousness that the waves were literally engulfing the boat. And within that moment of a storm breaking in, the disciples encounter Jesus who has power over storms. But more than that, wanted them to realize that he has an ability to bring peace regardless of situations. Now, the reality is that not many of us are going to find ourselves in physical storms like this. However, there's something I want us to grasp in terms of this story that does have application to every one of our stories in the journeys that we live with, with Jesus at the center of them, is that each and every one of us will encounter storms. Just as I said, there's storms that we can see through just everything that's going on in the world at the moment. North Korea, earthquakes, hurricanes, terror, acts of terror. There's enough things that if you want to, you can ponder them and think, man, this just seems pretty dark. But then there's the stuff that happens to us, the storms that happen in our lives, storms that suddenly come of deadlines, 
that we need to reach, of exams that we're taking, of, of illness, of finances, of our work situations, of family members, or suddenly a realization of something new about our past or a concern in terms of our future. Or maybe it's in respect to death, someone we know who's dying, or something in terms of suddenly we knew someone we know who suddenly dies. Or maybe ourselves, we suddenly get a diagnosis which really means that we now know that we're facing death. Or maybe it's that storm of what others think of us. If they really knew this, what would they think? Maybe it's actually about how someone else has succeeded, and what they then thinks about ourselves. Maybe it's about sharing our faith. And the reality is, these sort of storms just happen. And for some of us, we know that we're in one at the moment. For some of us, we know, oh yeah, I can know when this kind of thing happens and it pops up. And how I'm left feeling at that point. For some of us, though, we know that we seem to go from storm to storm. It feels like it's just always there. As though there's these dark clouds continuously around us, oppressing us. And it's into this reality I believe we need to understand that Jesus says that as we face storms, as we're living in storms, he comes to break in. And he comes to remind us that there is a choice to be made in the eye of the storm. There's a choice that we can make when the storm is very present. And we see it in the story where Jesus just says in verse 40, he says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? It's as though Jesus suddenly looking at the storm that's just happened and his ability to break in it says, actually, there's still a choice when you're facing these moments. There's a choice of, are you going to choose fear? And if you choose that pathway, you've got to understand there's going to be a destination it's going to take you to. Or are you going to choose faith? Because if you choose that pathway, there's a destination it's going to take you to. But you need to understand that when you face the storms, there is always a choice. Now, for some of us, we think, oh, no, no, it doesn't feel like there's a choice. It feels like it just is there's just this onslaught coming on me. Well, the, even that is a choice. A choice in the moment where it feels like we're being overwhelmed is that moment of saying, actually, there's nothing I can do because we're already being taken down a certain pathway. And I want us to, just for a moment, look at these two different pathways and look at them, because as we understand them, one is we start to see how it's in us, but also how attractive what Jesus is offering. But also how this isn't just something that's to make us feel good on a Sunday morning, and yet have no relevance and reality to a Monday. But rather, I'm hoping it's something that equips us to understand there is a freedom and a liberty that Jesus wants us to live with, that we get to choose within the storms we face, one that leads on a pathway of faith rather than fear. But I want to start, though, in terms of this side, the pathway to fear. Why do I want to start there? Because that's where the disciples start. And my guess is that's where often we end up. And what we see on this pathway to fear is that we find in verse 38, it exposes everything about where the disciples are at. When they say this, teacher, don't you care if we drown? See, what we've got to remember here is these weren't individuals who'd never been in a boat before. Many of Jesus' friends were hardened sailors. They were fishermen. They had spent a lot of time on this lake. They knew that storms came. They knew how to weather a storm. They knew what to do when the waves started to come over. They knew when to take the sails down in order to go with the, the storm. Yet in this moment, 
something happened. Something happened that caused them to say, actually, what on earth are we going to do here? The storm this time seemed to become one that was overwhelming them. Overwhelming them so much that they get to this point where they can't see a way out. However much they look inwards and say, well, we've got to be the solution here. We've got to be the solution here. They can't see a solution. And it leads them down this path which fear always invites you into, which is to logical conclusions. Which is, yes, we might have experienced this before, but we've never experienced it quite like this. The waves are lapping on over us. We're about to be taken and whereas maybe before this, I don't know, we've done this before. At this point, it suddenly gets to a logical conclusion is the only way this is going to end is we're going to drown. This is going to lead to our destruction. And suddenly out of that place of desperation as they turn to Jesus who is asleep. Utter chaos going on. And Jesus is asleep. And I love this account of the story. Mark is the only one who puts it there. On a cushion, on a pillow. Like, Jesus, there's a storm going on, and you're asleep on a cushion. And it's this sudden moment of exposure of the disciples' desperation. The disciples' belief the only way forward is going to be destruction. And they're turning to Jesus, saying, Don't you care? We're going to drown. Waking him up on the cushion. Don't you care? And see, what we see exposed in this brief moment of a story is what each and every one of us actually can see rings true when it comes to fear. See, what fear does is as we choose that pathway that suddenly says, oh yeah, but what if? It will keep taking you along a logical path that will always lead to two things. It will always seek to be destructive and it will always seek to distort. That's what fear will always seek to do. Now, this is, some of you are thinking, why are you thinking fear as if it's something? Well, fear is an emotional response, but also we've got to understand that there is one who's behind fear, one who's continuously seeking to rob us of anything that seeks to trust in God, one who's always seeking to usurp who God is in all authority. And at this point, some of you are going to think, man, you're nuts if you're about to say what I think you're going to say. No, no, as much as there is God, there is one who is against God, who's always seeking to take, say, actually, I want the authority he's got, and that's the devil. And the devil is one who's always seeking to actually take away anything that seems as good as God. He's always seeking to feed lies into who we are. And so there's one who's behind this, this, this kind of intensity of fear. As well as a bit something that is a response within us, there's one who's there saying, no, no, come on, come down this pathway. And you see, what fear does, as I said, is it, it will always lead to destruction. The what-ifs are always there in order that we logic it out to its worst possible conclusion. And as we logic it out to its worst possible conclusion, what we find is we've, we find ourselves imprisoned, enslaved, unable to find a way out. So we just think, this is it. There is no escape. I, I'm left by my own, looking at my own resources, and I can't do anything here. And we're completely immobilized. And it may not feel like we're physically drowning, but actually we, we get that sense of it just feels incredibly dark. I cannot see any light here. And it, as though I am totally unable to move from this point. 
We may not be physically drowning, but we feel like we're drowning. There's no way out. And in that moment where fear really starts to keep a grip, it can then cause us to get to points of utter desperation to try and find ways out. And the different ones of us will know what it's like on that scale of fear. And I tell you what, I know what it's like to be right down here. I know what it's like where you found yourself starting off with a point of view of what if they find this out. And then you find yourself going right the way down until the only way forward you can see is I am totally destroyed. And for me, it immobilized everything. I can tell you stories of where I'd start off by leaving my house and thinking, did I lock it? And often would go back saying, but what if, I think I did, but what if I didn't? And go back and I'd often talk about my triple checking of locks that kept me going. Because however many times I sought to do it, I'd always find another excuse that said, yeah, but what if? I had nothing of value in my flat. I had nothing worth stealing. I wasn't on a hit list, I don't think. But logically, where it taken me, this pathway of fear is one that I just felt immobilized. I've got to keep checking. I can't move from this place. And even after I'd walked and left it, I still, at the back of my mind, thought, but I just wonder. Because fear never brings peace. It always brings that sense of destruction, ultimately. But also distorts. It distorts what? It distorts our view of who God is. Do you see that in terms of Jesus? The disciples say, don't you care? And this is the one they've given up everything for. Like literally just heard him talk a few times. Seen him perform unbelievable miracles. Seen his care for people. Seen how he loves people. Seen how he loves them, and they were willing to just ditch everything. Say, so that's it. We're leaving our livelihoods and we're following you. And it just took one storm. And suddenly, this one that they've given up everything for, they then suddenly find themselves saying, Don't you care? He's forgotten who he was. See, fear does that. Fear distorts our view of who God is. Because suddenly we find ourselves in the situation and we find ourselves thinking, Yeah, but, but, but if God really cared, then he'd know I, I shouldn't be facing this. It starts to distort it. We find it at the very beginning of the Bible. That's how sin, self-centeredness entered the world was out of that sense of distorting who God was, out of fear. God says, you can't eat of that tree. But he's only doing that because he doesn't want you really to know the real good stuff. That's what the devil says, paraphrased by Adrian Hurst. And isn't it what happens then? Out of fear. So yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, maybe God isn't quite who we thought he was. It distorts who God is. And actually, out of choosing that distortion, it then has continued to distort who God is in our eyes. Fierce continuously seeks to do that. Therefore, Jesus longs to wage war on that pathway. Why? Because we weren't ever designed to live in it. We were never designed to live with fear. It wasn't that God created the world and on the seventh day he put fear in. And that God created everything to be a vessel of his love and goodness. Fear is only in here because we chose to live outside of his goodness and love. And Jesus in coming in his death, life and resurrection has come to restore everything and seeking to wage war on death and on fear and say, this has no place in your life. And longs for us to live in this other pathway. 
which is the pathway of faith. Now, the danger with this one in terms of the pathway of faith is we suddenly think, right, okay, I can see how unattractive this fear one is, but I can still find myself kind of being there. And ultimately, I hear what you're saying of, yeah, it does kind of get me to that point of desperation of saying I'm just not enough. But then if I hear this one, it says, Jesus, are you still of so little faith or do you not have faith? It then seems to be about me. That this one is then a pathway of me muscling up the faith. Storm comes, have I got the faith to stand the ground? That you suddenly think it's all me. But at that point, we've totally misunderstood what faith is all about. See, faith is trust. Every single one in this room is, is, is actually exercising faith. Whether you're a follower of God or not, whether you believe in God or not, you're exercising faith in this moment because you're sat on a chair. Without even thinking it, you've put your faith in the chair you're sat on because you didn't even think, will it be able to support my weight? At this point, some of you are freaking out because you're thinking, has Adrian done something to illustrate? Is my chair about to give? No, I haven't. I'm not that planned. But the reality is this, that we've all done it. We exercise that sense of trust that as I sit down, this chair is going to take my weight. This chair is going to be able to sustain my weight for the entirety of this morning. See, our trust, our faith is actually in the substance of the chair. It's not in, can I really believe the chair is going to carry my weight? I'm going to believe it. I will believe the chair will carry my weight. I don't know whether it is a chair. In actual fact, I'm going to believe there's a chair behind me that will carry my weight. There is no chair behind you, Adrian. Yes, but I'm believing the faith of the chair. No, it's not that, is it? That's crazy talk. That's like magician on the stage talk. A trick and nothing more. No, faith and trust is about the one you've got your trust and faith in. And this is all about Jesus. The pathway of faith is nothing to do with us muscling up something. It's rather us looking to someone and saying, actually, this is the one I'm clinging to. And the disciples lost sight of who they had. They got it eventually. They remembered he was in the boat. They remembered what he said, but it took him a moment. And for us, we need to continuously remember that when we've centered our life on him, he's forever with us. The pathway a faith is all about the substance of our faith, which is Jesus. And when it comes to Jesus, this story reminds us of two things. Firstly, it's all about what Jesus said. And secondly, we're going to see it's all about the fact that Jesus is with us on the boat. See, Jesus said this, verse 35, let us go over to the other side. See, Jesus, before he even got in the boat, before any storm happened, the reason why he was asleep on a pillow is this, is because Jesus said, we're going to the other side. It doesn't matter what's going to happen in between, we're going to the other side. This is the Jesus they'd heard speak so many amazing truths. The Jesus, as I've already said, who they've seen perform so amazing miracles. This Jesus, they've, they've sought to leave everything to follow. He said this, therefore it will be true. We're going to the other side. The thing is, if this was our only story of Jesus saying something, and I was thinking, okay, great, he's going to do it, we might kind of waver sometimes but we have a greater storm that Jesus faced that was able to speak over it and say now it's done now we're going to the other side a greater storm that gives us two other statements that change everything for everyone forever see Jesus at the cross encounters the greatest storm of all time we're at the cross he encounters all of our sin 
all of our self-centeredness, everything that separates us from who God is and from who we are. And Jesus encounters that and takes it on himself for the whole of humanity throughout all time. Jesus also encounters and takes on the consequences of our self-centeredness, of death. And in that storm, and if you don't think it is a storm, read the accounts of, the, of all that physically went on as Jesus hung on a cross, of how the weather changed, how darkness came on, of the turmoil Jesus' body was in as you see him there. That in that moment, in that storm, Jesus proclaims, just before he dies, that actually this storm is defeated. So you find John 19.30, Jesus simply says, it is finished. That all our sin is dealt with, that death has been given the final blow. Check out orders, you no longer have power here. See, Jesus defeated the greatest storm with an it is finished. We need to continuously remember that that's what God, Jesus now proclaimed over your life, my life, throughout anything we do. Even when we make the dumb decisions, Jesus still says, but it's finished. You can know forgiveness. You can know my rightness. You can know a sense of you don't need to live with shame. It is finished. But more than that, we find then Jesus rises again and then him rising again. He then says, is it three? Four words this time. John 20, 19 appears to his disciples, having done all that he's done, having finished everything, he simply says this, peace be with you. That having dealt with the ultimate storm of our sin and death, Jesus then offers the ultimate peace. I say, now I offer that peace, that peace, that word that means wholeness in everything. Wholeness now and wholeness for eternity. See, we're a people that need to continuously remember that Jesus has said it is finished and we now know his peace forever, regardless of what life throws at us. Which brings us back to this point, you see, not only is this a moment of us remembering what happened at the greatest storm, it also reminds us of what our hope is, our future hope. See, this story of Jesus getting in the boat and saying, now I'm taking you to the other side, is our story. Our story, once we put our life, uh, center our life on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Jesus says, now I'm with you in your boat as you navigate the lake of your life. And I promise you, in navigating this, your destiny now is forever to be with me. And the destiny we're going to is one where I'm going to renew the whole of the universe. And we talk about that a lot, don't we? Why? Because that's our destiny, That one day Jesus is going to renew everything and we're going to be there. And the whole of this earth, Revelation 21, 22, is going to be filled with God's love and goodness. And that's our destiny. And therefore, this story as we see it promises that as we're on the lake, as we're in this life, as we're on our journey, storms are going to happen. Circumstances are going to change. But I tell you the one thing that's never going to change, the destination We are always going to get to the destination of a life with Jesus in a renewed planet Earth where God dwells. And nothing's going to take that. Because why? Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. Therefore, we can live in this tension of knowing that actually God can can heal and God will heal. And there are friends that we've got where we're living saying, God, would you break in now? But also knowing that if he doesn't, the destination is still the same. 
need to know that we have this amazing hope. But it's not only in terms of what Jesus said, it's also that Jesus was in the boat. I think sometimes as believers, we kind of think that we start off here and we like put our faith in Jesus. We think, man, Jesus, your death, life, and resurrection is so attractive. I want everything you have to offer. I take your life, and we kind of get in, and I meant to bring a rubber dinghy, I forgot to. And we get in our rubber dinghy, that's our life, that we're going to now navigate the lake of the world. And we kind of start rowing off. Probably going to go this way, aren't we, if we're rowing. So we're rowing off, and we're rowing, and we're rowing. We're thinking, doing all right, doing all right. Thanks, Jesus, for the boat. Thank you, I've got a destiny. See you there, rowing, rowing. And then suddenly it gets a bit choppy and we're there and we're kind of trying to paddle and we think, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how to do this. Jesus, how am I going to do this? And we forgot that when we set off here in the boat, he said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be in the boat. I'm not promising that it's not going to get choppy. I'm not going to promise that sometimes it's going to feel like the boat's going to get swamped by water, but all I do promise is I'm going to be with you. We need to remember that Jesus is always there. And why he's asleep is because he's in control. It isn't that he's not bothered. It's because he knows, he said, we're getting there, so he can sleep. But we also need to know, at any moment, he'll wait to us. As we're rowing, he's there. See, when, Jesus, when we realize that Jesus is in the boat with us, as the disciples did eventually, it gives us a confidence to live with as we row across. Whatever storm is coming, a confidence that reminds us that he is with us. Why? Because he said that. Matthew 28, 20. Why have I put Bible verses here? Is so you can quickly take a photo of it, take a note of it. Why? Because you need to remember that Jesus is in the boat. And that's not because I said. It's because he said. He said he's never going to leave us to the very end of the age because at that point we get to be with him forever. Jesus is with us. We need to remember that Jesus has power. The fact he is in, in the boat, 1 John 4, 4, the one who is in you, that is Jesus, is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you, the one who is with you, is greater than anything this world can throw at you. I could do a preach on that one, I'm not going to do Keep going. Loved, 1 John 4, 18. Therefore, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Why is that so important? Because God loves you more than you dare to believe. Jesus offers a life full of God's unconditional love. A love that actually we could spend the rest of our lives now exploring and we'll never get to the limits of. A love that goes beyond anything you or I could imagine. Comprehend. And yet we're invited to continuously look to understand and experience more of his love. Why? Because when we understand how much we're loved, it casts out all the fear. Because suddenly we realize that actually, whatever else happens, I'm loved. And nothing's going to separate me from that love. And God's love is unbelievable. Now for some of us, we're kind of start thinking, is it really? If I'm like really suffering, is God's love going to be enough? Yes. It is. Why? One, because I've experienced it. I've experienced in the darkest moments the light of God's love breaking in and realizing that actually his love is more beautiful, precious, and worthy of, of my adoration than anything else I can experience. I can do it through experiences of others who are not in the rooms there. I could point you to Vince Rickett. 
living with cancer riddling his body. And yet as he's squeezed, he understands more and more and more and more of God's love. You know, I had the privilege of getting a coffee with Vince this last week. And all we talked about is how he can experience more of God's love. That's all we did for an hour and a half. How can he plumb more and more of the depths of God's love? And how actually this moment where he's unable to do as much actively physically at this point in time because of his uh, recovery from this stage of cancer it affords him moments where all he can do is just bathe himself in worship and encounter God and how that flips everything on its head. It isn't a moment to kind of lick wounds, but rather a moment to experience God's love. God's love drives out fear. It's about the fact that we have a new identity. Romans 8.15, the spirit who is God is now living in you and in me in order that we'd understand that we're no longer slaves for fear. Fear has no kind of ownership of us. Rather, we're now the children of God. And as children of God, we therefore get to approach God as a father, get to know that we're held like Timothy's held, continuously one who's kind of seeking to do our good, do our best, and whenever the waves are kind of sweeping in and smashing over us, we've got one who's wanting to hold us tight and say, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. See, we need to allow fear not to distort our view of who he is but allow the reality to understand that he is in the boat and that gives us confidence. But it's not only confidence that it gives us, it's also a sense of comfort. You see, there's a moment, isn't it, where the disciples, though it probably wasn't out of the best motives, they remember Jesus there and they say, Aren't you gonna care? don't you care for us? We're going to drown. What's interesting is Jesus doesn't stand up at that point and start pushing them out the boat. He doesn't stand up at that point and rebuke them, saying, are you so afraid still? Why do you not have more peace? Just says Jesus stands up and just says, be still. And I tend to picture, I don't know how you picture this, I don't ever picture Jesus standing up and shouting because he knew he didn't need to. He was asleep. He was totally cool with the storm. And he stands up and I think Jesus just said, be still. And it was. Because Jesus, as soon as we call out, rushes to meet us in order that he can comfort us. And for sometimes we think, oh no, Jesus is going to be cross with me. No, no, Jesus is always wanting to comfort us. Which brings us to the last thing is that Jesus, when he's in the boat, wants to bring us peace. And sometimes that means he brings peace so the situation we're facing suddenly dissipates. Often though, it means that the peace that he brings is actually within the storm that we're facing. That we get to know within all that the world's going at, or the moment where our, our boat's getting very choppy, is that even in that moment, we get to know the very peace of God. A peace that promises wholeness, but a peace also that promises a sense of a calm mind and heart. A peace that means that we could be like Jesus. And rather than shouting at him, saying, don't you understand I'm going to drown? Join him and lay down on the pillow. Man, what about if we were a bunch of people who, regardless of what life threw at us, not have a sense of escape of, oh, I'm, going to, I'm in total denial, I'm just asleep. No, no. Of understanding that people would look on on us as actually the storms we're facing, we get to be with Jesus asleep 
on the pillow. Such is the peace that we know. I think, man, yeah, the boat's choppy, it's blowing around everywhere. But with Jesus, it's not just okay, it's amazing. So then, this all sounds good, doesn't it? But how on earth do we decide to live this way? How can we seek to live at the crossroads by not choosing to live on the pathway of fear, but the pathway of faith? Well, I'd say it comes down to three R's, just very briefly. Firstly is we need to remember that as we're in the storm, as we're living out our lives, we need to continuously remember what Jesus says and who Jesus is. And for different ones of us, that takes different amounts of time. And therefore, sometimes, and I find this, when I feel like I'm, I'm, I've got anxiety kind of awakening within me, and I can generally find it in the moment because of other people's expectations that I'm not quite fulfilling, um, a sense of a deadline, or a sense of, um, I'm, yes, the first one, to be honest, is that I'm failing someone. That's generally what I feel, a sense of anxiety rising up. And, and in it, my baseline could be, because I've had this sense of, I've lived the track of fear, and so I continuously have to renew that one, is that I can potentially quickly say, well, the answer is myself. I need to work harder. Therefore, get up earlier and get on a bit more. Whereas actually what I've learned is, I need to spend more time remembering at that point. Seems totally countercultural. You think, no, no, you need to, in order to not let anyone down, get on with it. No, no, in order to not let anyone down, I need to first get my perspective right. I need to remember who Jesus is. As I often find myself having times of actually making the time, either walking somewhere rather than driving, getting up a bit earlier, but not in order to work harder, but rather to just get time with him, to remember what he said and who he is, that he's in the boat with me. So first of all, we remember. Second is we need to renew. Romans 12 too, is that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Well, we've had a track where we've continuously chosen to, to, to live down a pathway of fear. It just means we have to consciously make a decision, say, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to go this way. I remember when our first daughter was born, Emily. It was quite a, an amazing journey and painful journey for us to actually have children. We, we went for a long period of time where we didn't think we'd be able to have children. Then we, Lucy got pregnant with Emily, but then it took a long time for Emily to emerge into the world. It was quite an epic birth. And I remember after she'd been born, I went home, and we'd not, Lucy and I, Lucy then still didn't sleep. I hadn't slept, all about me, um, for 72 hours. And um, so I went home and just fell asleep at midnight. And just I remember waking up at uh, 7 in the morning with the phone ringing, and uh, Lucy said to me, she said, uh, the doctors have been round and they found there's something wrong with Emily. There's something to do with her heart, and they think they're going to have to operate. I remember in that moment, the storm felt very close. And suddenly, I'm facing this child that we've spent a long time wanting, suddenly thinking, is that it then? <laughs> one day old, well, less than one day old, and it's probably going to need to have heart surgery. I remember as I got off the phone, I remember think, feeling the waves figuratively splashing against my face and thinking as they're splashing against my face, I have a decision to make. Pathway of fear, pathway of faith. I know where that one leads. And at that point, I had to renew my mind. I had to say, Jesus, I know if I go down that route, 
It's only going to cause me to curve more and more inwardly, and it will lead me to a place of destruction and desperation and distortion of you. Therefore, as I'm walking, this is literally as I'm walking upstairs to get ready to go to hospital. I'm walking upstairs saying, Jesus, as I'm walking now, I'm renewing my mind. I'm saying, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going this way. I'm going this way and trusting in your pathway of faith, of who you are rather than who I am. And it was, as, it was as brutal, and it sounds easy, it was hard, as doing that. And as, as I'm doing that, as I'm choosing and renewing my mind, saying, I'm not going that way, I'm going this way, I then get to this last hour of receiving. And I get to this, the best prayer that I can find on fear of Philippians 4, 6, 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. That in that moment, as I've said, I'm renewing, I'm not going that way, I'm going this way. I come and I say, Jesus, I call out to you. Because I know I can get anxious about this. I don't know what this is going to mean, but I trust you with Emily. I trust you with myself. And I say, would you come now? And I receive the peace that you offer, which transcends, goes beyond anything I could ask or imagine. And what I can say is he was true. He's true to his word that from that point on, regardless of what was going to happen, I knew his peace. Now, also at this point, people will say, well, what happened? Well, Emily's 15. Uh, she did have a hole in her heart. She didn't have to have surgery at that point, but had to be monitored for the next 12 months. And gradually, miraculously, that hole is shrunk. Until this point, we get to it, it's still there, and we always forget. But it's only these moments where I would tell the story. I remember she has it. And probably we should make another appointment at the hospital to make sure she gets checked. But, <laughs> but in it, why do I tell it? It's because it's decisions like that in storms like that, as well as the other storms we face of differing, raging moments where we get to say, I remember who you are. I renew my mind, and now I receive the peace that you have to offer. Because we're each invited to encounter Jesus on the boat. My question to you is this, what are you going to do next then? What are you going to do next? Should we stand? I'd lined up um, a song we were going to sing. I'd lined up that I was going to finish five minutes earlier than this, um, but I haven't. I apologize. Here's the deal, though. I think each of us know where we're at. And I want to give us just 30 seconds, just with our eyes closed, not worrying about others. And just in it, you know what this means for you. And for some of us, we know, do you know what? I've lived for too long on one pathway. And today, Jesus, I want to choose the other one. And for you, if that's you, I felt just like for some of us, it, it felt like this other story where the disciples have been fishing all night and caught nothing. <laughs> and then Jesus just says, look, put your nets down again. And they catch this amazing amazing load of fish and I felt for some of us it feels like with this one it feels like a battle that we've been doing for years and we kind of at this point thinking but is it going to be any different 
And I just felt Jesus wanted to say, no, let down your nets again and see what I'm going to do. And I felt for some today that this is going to be a moment where we say, right, there's a line on the ground this far and no further. And in a moment, I can just invite you to demonstrate that line by coming to the front to be prayed for, where we're going to see the power of fear broken and see the adventure of faith begin.